The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. We are going to be talking about the restoration of the Los Angeles River. And a lot of Angelinos don't even realize they have a river running through the city. But we're going to be talking today with the pioneer of this restoration project. We're going to be talking about the history of the L.A. River and all of the efforts that are going on within the community and with the federal government, with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to restore this amazing, uh, river and ecosystem that runs right through one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, today, our guests are Lewis McAdams. He is the founder and president of an organization called Friends of the Los Angeles River. And Shelly Backlar is their vice president of programs. And if you want to check out their website while we're talking with Lewis and Shelly, just open up a new tab in your web browser and go to www.f. O-L-A-R.org. That's FOLAR, Friends of the LA River.org, and you can check it out. Lewis, welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad to have you. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, for many of our listeners, the only images they have of the L.A. River are those they've seen in movies like Terminator and Grease, where they see a concrete channel with a little trickle of water running down the middle. Give us a history lesson, Lewis. How did the L.A. River become a concrete channel? Well, it was the result of a couple of major floods in the 1930s, and uh, the river had been kind of the redheaded stepchild of uh, <laughs> the city for a while before that, but ever since the water supply stopped coming from exclusively from the L.A. River and came in from the Owens Valley. So at that point, it was, I guess in, in a way it was, I mean, three million barrels of concrete were poured, and, and the, the flood control channel has never ultimately been breached since then. But it was at a huge ecological cost. Basically, every native species was wiped out within two years of the channelization and the concretization. And our goal is to return those steelhead trout runs and the, all the other missing pieces of the ecological puzzle to a healthy existence, sharing a larger sense of community. Sure. Well, and, you know, it, describe for us, because a lot of people who haven't seen the documentary that I just saw, uh, that's where you and I met uh, Raphael Sabarge, who's a an actor and director, uh, just created a documentary called Concrete River. And I went to the premiere and met you and, and some of the other folks who were involved in the making of that. But until I saw that documentary, I had no idea 
what they were talking about when they said a flood. You know, I mean, we get floods in Northern California and it's, you know, the street gets a little bit messy. But describe for us that that final flood of 1938 that had the city saying, all right, enough. Maybe Shelley, I mean, I think I've heard Shelley talk about this in a, in a really articulate way. Maybe she could answer sure. that question. Thank you, Lewis. I'll happily take, uh, take that. So um, in 1938, March, it rained for five days straight. So as you can imagine, in an arid climate, um, and all of a sudden to have five days of really significant rain, the ground was so saturated that the water had nowhere to go. And if you think about the city of Los Angeles at that time, people were moving from all over the place, but it was still relatively unsettled, about 200,000 people. So you had a very vast area where the river would kind of move on its own to begin with. In recorded history, the rivers changed courses nine different times, so um, path of least resistance. So um, you have this, this situation where you have a, a watershed. Um, the, the river is, um, it, it falls about 3,000 feet in only 51 miles. So you have a lot of gravity um, that's kind of dealing with the situation of, of the water and then this floodplain. So um, homes were washed uh, down from the side of mountains. And literally, if you can think about the force that would um, pull up a railroad track, um, so you're talking about a tremendous amount of water. Um, hard to ignore something like that. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was the first time in history that the Academy Awards was postponed because most of the actors were in the San Fernando Valley and they had to get to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. So it, it, was, it was significant. Mm-hmm. And so the Army Corps of Engineers came in. Uh, they put these flood control measures in place and... I guess they were effective because L.A. was able to grow into a megacity. Uh, Lewis alluded to some of the loss of wildlife, but what, was, what were the downsides of this concrete control of the L.A. River? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think when you think of Corps of Engineers and the, the era of engineering in the 30s, um, they were tasked with literally taking the water off the streets and having it flow down to the ocean as quickly as possible. And as Lewis said, at that time, we had started taking water from the Owens Valley, so there wasn't as much of an issue with water supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there were our accounts that I've read that said that, you know, the city is, is um, going to remain agriculture, primarily the San Fernando Valley. I mean, anyone who's seen Chinatown has seen a little bit of, of that kind of landscape um, Mm -hmm. that existed at the time. Um, But going fast forward and the amount of development, the amount of um, paving, not just of the river, but of our environment between strip malls and um, freeways and all of that. So you really have um, less of an opportunity for the water to percolate back into the ground now. Um, And so the consequences are... Um, where does the water go and how do we recharge places that need water? And, um, and so there's that, but there's also the fact that, as Lewis said, there were steelhead trout. It was the southernmost steelhead trout run um, in the country. 
it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, and you think about life on the river, um, as you said, mostly there's concrete, but there are several areas where the water table is so high that Mother Nature overruled, and the concrete couldn't stick. So those mm-hmm. are the places that we take people, and they say, oh my gosh, this really is a river. Mm-hmm. With the soft bottom, right? Correct. Yep. Lewis, describe for us your vision for what you hope the Los Angeles River will become. What changes are you pushing for, and how will those changes benefit the city of Los Angeles? Well, <clears throat> I guess it will, uh, I mean, some of that remains to be seen. You know, the, the, there is a plan, the Army Corps of Engineers in Washington approved a $1.3 billion makeover for the L.A. River between downtown and Griffith Park, which is about 11 miles long, uh, that when that for that to come into existence, um, it has to go through the Water Resources Development Act. It has to go through Congress. It has to go through the Chief's Reporter of the Corps of Engineers, and, and all these things are going to take a little more time. But I mean, compared to the amount of time it took to screw it up, it's a minuscule. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so we're working, you know, and imagining the river without concrete covering the entire bottom is as the area that I, that I know, you, I think you visited, which is mm-hmm. one of the 11 miles or the number of miles where there's no concrete on the bottom because the Army Corps of Engineers uh, felt that the concrete would float away, ultimately would be undermined. Mm-hmm. And so when you imagine that happening, then you can start to imagine... Um, Terraced properties reaching down from the from the piggy backyard, which is the last active rail yard in the city, reaching down to the river, and uh, you know just something like terraces where people can sit and have a picnic is something that uh, doesn't exist yet on the L.A. River. I mean, we went very far. I mean, when I started Friends of the Los Angeles River, I thought that all I had to do was convince people that it could be a better place, but I soon realized that it, we had to convince people the river even existed. <laughs> you know, so that coming back from that distance, where this—that's kind of psychic distance, where uh, nobody is in charge. Ultimately, nobody has the has the lead, ultimate leadership role. Um, to something now, where it's starting to have a leadership role. Somebody like Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles uh, has been to the White House three times to lobby the president to, to add, add money to the pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, to help restore the river. And so we're just at the beginning stages of that. It's a very exciting moment. And we're going to be in this stage of re- restoration for many years to come. So it's uh, it's exciting to be part of the, the beginning of it and then the new beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And besides making it a place where people can can gather and you know look at the water, what other types of benefits do you expect the city to glean from a, a restoration project of this magnitude? Well, I think that in many ways, and, what, and I guess it's what draws me to it, is that it helps to, to create community. I mean, ultimately a larger community than even just the human community. One of the things that we do is uh, something called the Frog Spot, which is a gathering every every week, every weekend. We have three bands. We have food. We have inexpensive drinks. We have an easy place for parents to run around with their kids to run around. And when we start to think about the the community, it's a it's a very large and continually growing community, and one that. I think promises a healthier environment for everybody. I mean, this is a, a 52-mile-long river 
almost entirely urbanized and how that becomes a place of gathering and how it becomes a healthy center of the city is still being worked out. You know, we're still in the early, even though we've been doing Folar for 28 years, we're just at the beginning. Uh, when we come back from came back from Washington a few weeks ago, uh, I think most of the people I know were kind of disappointed, thinking we were going to have to put the shovels in the ground. And we're not quite at that point, but we're get, getting close. That's very exciting. And I want to hear more about what's next when we, uh, when we come back from a quick commercial break. We're going to go to commercial folks, but don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So happy that you could all tune in today. If you just joined us, let me catch you up. We're talking about the restoration of the Los Angeles River. And we have on the phone today, uh, Lewis McAdams, who is the founder and president of an organization that was started back in 1986 called Friends of the Los Angeles River. Their website is www.f 
O-L-A-R.org, so you can check that out. Uh, we're also joined today by Shelly Backlar, who is the Vice President of Programs for Friends of the Los Angeles River. And Shelly, I'd love for you to talk about some of your programs. I know that Lewis alluded to Frog Spot, which is a every weekend uh, program that you have going on, but I know you have others that you've instituted to help bring the community out to the river. Talk to us about those programs and some of the educational goals that you have around those programs. Oh, sure. Well, one of the things that Lewis was saying, you know, it it was that our nascent stages, um, we were actually formed as a, he called it a 40-year artwork, and I'll have him talk a little bit more about that from his perspective, but um, we look at the river as not um, solely environment, although we do celebrate the the fact that it is an ecosystem, Um, but we also uh, are we're, we're sort of founded by the gospel song, Shall We Gather at the River? Oh. So everything we do has a component to connecting people to a place that, as you said, many have not um, only seen in, in movies portrayed as a place of isolation and desolation. Um, so in, in our earliest phases, um, we held a cleanup to come in and, and um, pull out some of the trash that washes in through the storm drains when it rains. And we had about 30 people initially. Um, that we, last year, or this year, we just celebrated our 26th annual cleanup and we brought 4,000 people down. Wow. So, um, you know, not only is it a way to um, give something back and clean the environment and, and make it better, but it's also about connecting to a place and seeing its potential currently and realizing when you see a great blue heron or an osprey flying overhead and butterflies that there is a tremendous amount of life there, not just concrete and pollution and and some of the things that have been portrayed for years and years. And that's Mm -hmm. um, what we do now. And it's so wonderful to be able to do this. Um, We have an education program where we we, um, have curriculum from ages or from grades 2 through 12. And we come in and work with teachers. We give lessons about the river's um, past and the Tongva people that lived here originally. Um, Part of that program includes a 38-foot mobile visitor and education center called the L.A. River Rover. So it's essentially a museum dedicated to the past, present, and future of the river, very interactive. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do lessons around that. And then the third step is to bring kids down to the river for a hands-on field trip, and we approach it as um, you are a scientist for the day to mm-hmm. right now you're a botanist we're looking at native and invasive plants and that kind of thing so it's really about um, about connecting to school standards but also about connecting people to an open space that exists um, and it has a lot of life and a lot of potential um, we also ha- use our river over as a way to connect with the community so we stage at events and places along the river, bringing the river to the people and people to the river. We're working on a citizen science program that will gather data to be able to inform the Army Corps of Engineers and Alternative 20 when we start getting down to these, um, looking at how we're going to take concrete out and and bring back wetland habitat. Um, We are also advocates. A lot of the work that Lewis does and and some of our staff is about um, changing perception and policy and -hmm. connecting with decision makers. Um, So we we are kind of, as Lewis said, there's a 
51 miles of river running through, um, you know, millions of people, and how do we gather and connect people to that common place? My river is going to be different from your river, um, but it is meaningful to all of us in a different way. Well, those are fantastic programs, and and I know that on your website there's a place to donate, and I hope that people who are listening, who you know may live in or around the LA area, who would you know their school children or communities would directly benefit from some of these programs, will take a moment to click on that button on f o l a r dot org and and donate to some of these programs. Lewis, I heard you saying something. Would you please go ahead? Uh, a couple of things, but one of them was another of our, probably our most recent program, which I wanted to mention because it's really innovative and, and funny and thoughtful at the same time, which is Off the Hook, which is a catch and release derby. And it's, have, the second annual will be held in September, and it's a chance for families to get together to learn how to fish from professional anglers and people that are just really love to fish. And the winning uh, fish, is, I mean, people are still having trouble believing there's water in the river. Now we're yeah. at a stage where it's a fishing derby. And the biggest fish caught in this one was a six-and-a-half-pound carp. What? So see this oh, time. my yeah, gosh. That's crazy. Because, again, from these images that we see from the movies where there's just this little trickle running down a concrete channel, um, you know, that, that can't be the only thing there is to the L.A. River if there's a fish that big yeah, out in it. Sure. And, and I know that there's kayaking, too, right? There are parts of the right. river where people can go kayaking, which blows my mind. Well, and we've just gotten permission to start to start launching kayak trips from the Frog Spot. So it's a um, full-purpose, full-service, slightly surrealistic gathering place along the river. I mean, to, to see... To see people kayaking two feet from the con- concrete slab is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Lewis, you know, we, you've mentioned and Shelley's mentioned Alternative 20, and this is the, uh, you know, what the Army Corps of Engineers has, has picked as their restoration template for the river. Talk to us about what's next in terms of public policy. I know that there's going to be some issues over funding and how the city will um, share in the burden of, of funding. And so what happens public policy wise next now that the Army Corps of Engineers has chosen Alternative 20 as their template? Well, there are sort of several stages of it to come in the next year or two, which is basically uh, a chance for other agencies uh, to look at the project and see if it, how it affects the work that they're doing. And there's the question of cost. I mean, when we thought we had an agreement last year with the Corps of Engineers that the city and the Corps would each put up 50% of the cost of the project, which is really large. I mean, it's as, almost as expensive as a new football stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, but the money, but then we found out that the Corps had changed its formula, probably reflecting maybe an increased cost in land, to where the city is now being held for up for and held up, and I use that word advisedly, held up for about eighty percent of the project cost, and the Corps would pay, pay about twenty percent of the concrete removal cost. And uh, how that's going to work out is still unknown. There's negotiations ongoing. Um, we will see on this one, I mean, but that's only one of you know a number of problems. I mean, this is a river that's been highly urbanized for uh, you know nearly a century, and so 
uh, it, we've begun to really to sort of expect the concrete to always be there. But the truth is, we're looking at, at formula and we're looking at uh, ways that the concrete will start to come out very soon. Mm-hmm. But we still have these funding issues. I mean, this is a huge public works project. It's like people when people say, I mean, think of me as an environmentalist, I think of myself more as an infrastructuralist. Mm-hmm. We're building urban and uh, urban fabric, and it's not easy or cheap or short-lived, but it's in the long run, uh, it leads towards a healthier and happier public uh, community of, in Los Angeles. Well, I'd like for you to expand on that. How so? Because, you know, um, in this age of, of climate change adaptation, where public policy is beginning to form around what kind of infrastructure are we going to need to deal with climate change? As you mentioned earlier, and I maybe Shelley mentioned it, you know, the, the project initially was to move water, you know, through this channel and out to the ocean as fast as you could so that you know, there, there wouldn't right. be flooding. Um, but now we know that, you know, when we lose all that water out into the ocean, all that fresh water, there's some problems with that. Um, and so talk to us about this project, you know, as an infrastructuralist versus an environmentalist. Well, I, I think in terms of infrastructure, that building a better river is a bit like building a subway system. I mean, it takes a long time and it takes moving up lots of pieces around. So, you know, how that's going to play out, say, in the relation between the river and high-speed rail, for just picking out one of many examples, uh, is something that people are just starting to really grap- grapple with. And I, I think, likewise, the same situation in terms of, in, in terms of water. I mean, there's one, the phrase that I've been hearing lately is one water, and we're all part of that one water. Mm-hmm. And what that means is still just more or less slogans, but... We all, I think everybody shares the same, the same dilemma, really, which is how to save water and how to use water at the same time. And how that's going to play out, I think, will be fundamental to the success of the reality of this, of this restored river. And nobody can tell you yet exactly what that's going to look like, but it's certainly not going to be trapezoidal concrete walls. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny, I, I gave a speech for some high school students in L.A. a couple of years ago, and I asked them to guess how what, what percentage of the water they use in L.A. actually comes from L.A. And they gave out a bunch of numbers, and according to the... Um, the uh, you know the, the state agencies and local water agencies in LA they were surprised to learn that the data shows it's just 11% and part of that is because the aquifers are not being recharged and Ed Begley Jr. said something really interesting at the documentary premiere he said you know if we could take out some of the concrete bottoms of this channel we might be able to recharge the aquifers under LA which would enhance the groundwater that's actually local and doesn't have to be, um, you know, imported, essentially. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have much more with Lewis McAdams and Shelley Backlar from Friends of the Los Angeles River. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us and so glad that our guests today could join us. We have Lewis McAdams, the founder and president of an organization called Friends of the L.A. River. That's FOLAR, F-O-L-A-R dot org, if you want to check out their website. And Shelly Bacalar, who is the vice president of programs for Friends of the Los Angeles River. You know, before we went to, to commercial break, we were talking about the infrastructure component of this uh, river restoration project. Shelly, I want you to expand on what we were talking about and and kind of tell us some more about the infrastructural benefits to the city by engaging in this restoration project. Absolutely. Well, I I also want to say that um, some things that Friends of the LA River have been working on in our slogan has been a swimmable, fishable, boatable, bikeable Los Angeles River. And I think the Mm -hmm. only thing we haven't tackled yet so far is the swimming, um, which Mm -hmm. is a great thing to be able to say. Um, But a lot of these plans that involve, as Lewis has been mentioning, taking out concrete, and you think, well, wait a second, if this was created for flood protection, how, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of moving parts to it, but the great thing is, is that to be able to do that work, we actually do need to slow the water down and to retain some of it off-site. So as you were talking about climate change and drought, um, the mechanism to be able to create habitat um, for birds, and in this region, 90% of our wetland habitat is gone. Um, that's significant. 
So to be able to do that, we will be creating um, side channels. We will be putting water into the ground and holding it there. And down the road, that could be an opportunity to let that water percolate for five to seven years and then to be able to use it as a drinking water source instead of importing so much water, as you mentioned. Well, and that is a real bone of contention in this state. And Lewis, you know, everybody in the country and probably around the world knows that California is experiencing a record-breaking drought. And actually, the way that most people know about that is that all of a sudden their produce prices at the grocery store are going through the roof. We in California grow 70% of the produce, the vegetables and fruits that are consumed by the rest of the nation. And actually a few weeks ago, um, we had some folks from the Culinary Institute of America talking about how there have actually been restaurants in other states who had to go out of business because they could no longer afford the price of the produce that they normally could get out of California. And, and, You know, here in the state, there's kind of tension between the northern and southern parts of the state regarding water. And so I'm kind of wondering a couple things. First of all, does the water in the L.A. River come from the aqueduct? Is it water that comes from the delta in northern California or other northern California sources? And then I'm wondering if the restoration of the river will increase the amount of water L.A. needs from northern California or maybe hopefully decrease that amount? Well, it's a complicated question with complicated and incomplete answers. Uh, I mean, one way to start to think about this is to think about that most of of L.A.'s water is imported from the Owens Valley, from the, ultimately, you can't even say what is the watershed of the Los Angeles River because it includes the Rocky Mountains, it includes the Owens Valley, it includes uh, uh, water from underground, uh, for, from the kind of shattered, geologically speaking, aquifers that are underneath the San Fernando Valley. So that, that, that becomes a question. And what really becomes a question then is, like, what kind of river do you want? I mean, do you, in its natural form, it, the Los Angeles was a seasonal river that had water in it when it was rainy, during the rainy season and didn't when it was the dry season. You know, it's now a year-round river instead of a seasonal river. And so we have the water that's being imported after it goes through our bodies is now replenishing the water supply in the river. But how much does, water does the river need? That's, a, that's one of the many questions that no one yet has a real answer to, and we hope to be part of that discussion. We will be part of that discussion. Uh, the, the role of the river, the post-drought or inter-drought part of the river's role is still being determined. Mm-hmm. But it's one of, our, one of the things I think that motivates a lot of us and friends of the Los Angeles River is to protect what, what the necessary water for the river, but also to acknowledge that we're part of a larger set of ecosystems that we have to protect as well. So I, I know that's a convoluted answer, but it's an extremely complicated question. We're only at the beginning stages of really understanding how to deal with, that, with, scarcity, with scarcity on this mm-hmm. level. Well, and and it it may seem convoluted, but I think it's truthful. I mean, you know, we're seeing all kinds of implications from the drought that 
you know, people just didn't expect. I mean, I read yesterday on the Associated Press that there is land in the Central Valley sinking in some places as much as 13 inches in the last nine months as a result of drawing so much water out of the ground there. And that's to support, of course, agriculture in the Central Valley. So it is complicated and, you know, it, it's not a well-regulated um you know, function. Everybody thinks that California regulates the heck out of everything, but the truth is not so much on the groundwater and the the aquifers. Um, we really haven't done a great job of measuring that to even know what we've gotten um, and, and how to use it. How has the drought affected the LA River? Shelley Lewis, whoever wants to take that one, what have you seen? Sure. Well, I'll just build on what Lewis was saying. You know, you, you, when you think about the LA River and flooding, and that's when it rains. But the reality is, is that the water that's in the river year-round now is a product of of um, importing water from all over. It's the water that we use in our homes to um, brush our teeth, wash our clothes, and it's being treated in um, three different water treatment plants, um, and those were built initially to be able to put the water back into the ground and let it percolate, but there was a phrase in the early 90s called toilet to tap that kind Mm -hmm. of scared people about that. And we all know, I mean, this is go green, that there's no new water. All water that we're using is recycled. Mm -hmm. So um, it's important, just as we've changed our ideas about the river and what it is and what it can be, about water and water supply and what we have, and the water that's being released in th- into the river is very close to drinking water quality. It's why we can kayak. And I think people around the world would just be um, overjoyed to have that water to use. Um, so, again, it is now we need to catch up and we need to take that and we need to hold on to it. Um, mm-hmm. And and we can, you know, maneuver things, bits and pieces of the puzzle to make sure that if we're investing in wetland restoration, that we include that into the equation. Um, giving back to us and giving back to birds and other species that are in the urban environment that could really use that. The river is a resource again. Mm-hmm. And speaking of an urban environment, you know, somebody brought up an interesting point, Lewis, at the, the documentary documentary premiere that we were talking about, Raphael Sabarge's um, movie, A A Concrete River. And one audience member brought up the issue of gentrification. He said that there is some fear amongst some of the less affluent neighborhoods that are adjacent to the river, that if the river restoration project includes commercialization of the area, in other words, like restaurants and, you know, lighted pathways and things like that, that people who are in some of the impoverished neighborhoods adjacent to the river will be displaced. What are well, your thoughts that, on this issue? I think in some ways that's really a, a misperception, and uh, it's a common one, and it's one that I think has something to do with the frog spot, which is basically in a Latino working class, traditionally working class neighborhood. And the idea of gentrification would especially theoretically hit neighborhoods like this, which are essentially working class. And people, if you own your home, you're in a great shape. If you're just renting, you're not in such great shape in the long run. But I think that, that, that as thing we have seen at the frog spot, is that people want to share the pleasures of a of a park like community, and that it's not 
so it's not a racial divide. It's not necessarily a economic divide uh, because everybody shares the desire to sit out, wa- watch the river flow, and watch the wind through the willow trees, have a sip of glass of wine, watch their children and grandchildren play. You know, I think that that it would be it's important to look at that aspect of it. I mean, the par- poor people need parks probably much probably worse than wealthy people. Almost certainly, that would be the case. And the LA River is it runs mostly through working class neighborhoods, so it, it's its effect the effect on it is large. But also, I think the opportunities are equally large. And you know, I, f- I feel like that the river runs through wealthy neighbor very few wealthy neighborhoods mostly through working class neighborhoods and right now they they're the major beneficiary of this of this sort of beginnings of the movement to restore the wetlands to restore the habitat and to restore the river Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that through some of your programs, uh, you know, reaching into those same neighborhoods, schools, and and reaching the children and the families, um, that you could probably get a lot of support from those same neighborhoods, and you probably already do. Um, and I'm sure that Friends of the L.A. River will be a great organization to bring the community together. And if there are those fears, to bring people together for conversations about that, to allay those fears and to, to bring people you know, to the table so that everybody is heard. And I'm sure that you all you know, will be doing that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's central to our, to our role, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially and, with our educational role and with the River Rover, which I mean, prob- I, I can't answer this, and uh, Shelley probably can. Uh, the uh, the demographics of the people that are served by the River Rover, which is our uh, rubber, our classroom on wheels. Mm-hmm. And Shelley, are you seeing you know a really great cross section of the LA population showing up for those uh, those programs? Absolutely. One of the things that's really um, a great thing, um, in addition to being close to the river, we go to places like El Pueblo, um, where the where the city began, Alvera Street. Um, so we reach a population of people who didn't even know that there was a river, and literally it's right there. Um, and so to be able to go to those places, to go to... Um, sections that are like in South LA um, mm-hmm. and talk about open space. Again, we're not creating open space. We're utilizing open space. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to tell people, here's a map. You can get on your bike and go through your neighborhood and be connected to a pathway that can go all the way up to the San Gabriel Mountains or all the way down to the Queen Mary in Long Beach. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we really um, enjoy being able to to say that you know this exists. This is this mm-hmm. is a fiction. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is yours. Resource. This is here, and it us. is yours. <laughs> exactly. Come come with us, and we'll show you. That's wonderful. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more with Lewis and Shelley. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad to have you all with us this week talking about the restoration of the Los Angeles River. Very exciting stuff. Um, You know, I'd love for more people in Los Angeles and the surrounding areas to get involved with what Friends of the L.A. River are doing. And I know that you guys have a Fandango coming up. So tell us about that event and how people can get involved. Well, I think the simple way is really, when people ask me that, I, I just tell them to go to the, walk down to the river and let the river tell them what to do next, mm-hmm. because it is, it is about something larger than just individuals. Um, we are, some people might say, an evangelical organization, that is to say that we're constantly, we have so much work to do in the organization as the organization grows, and we're basically sponsored by individuals and the occasional big grant, but mostly it's people like the listeners to this show, and we'd um, like them to become part of Folar in the larger sense and to come go to www.folar.org. I think you will start to see the possibilities for yourself because it's about you and it's joining with us to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. And and Shelley, what is this Fandango event that you? I, I know it's up on your website, but tell us more. Yeah, it's um, we gather um, again at places on the river and and sometimes at the natural bottom places, but sometimes in the places that are up and coming and are ready for transformation. And this year we will be staging our event um, in uh, downtown, very close to railroad tracks, uh, the east bank of the river, and it's across from what's known as the art district, arts district. But it's an up and coming place where um, where lots of change 
changes happening, and the Sixth Street Bridge will be revitalized. And so we're creating, uh, we're calling it an industrial garden party. We're literally <laughs> transforming a warehouse into a place of wonder with um, live music, live painting, projection art, um, food, um, and lots of fun. And so, again, on our website, you can see the Fandango. Um, and we're certainly, um, anyone that is interested in giving us a call or emailing to find out a little bit more about what we're doing, we're always happy to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And we have an events page, take a look at what's going on. Um, and there are lots of ways that, that that people can engage with us in the river. Well, you had me at food. I may be back down. <laughs> I heard food in there, so <laughs> I may be seeing you at the Fandango. Wonderful. You know, Lewis, I know that um, according to your webpage, you all have had some sister city types of excursions and experiences. Are there other cities around the world who have restored rivers that inspire you? Are there lessons that you've learned from other projects that are in any way similar to the LA River restoration work? It's a, it's a great question. And uh, I would, the answer is, is yeah, a qualified yes. I think the Los Angeles River is kind of the poster child for the rivers that got most screwed up. So that restoring it, I, when I said it was a 40-year artwork, I figured it had taken that long to screw it up. It would take that long to fix it, but it's going to be much larger time frame than, than we, would, I think, originally pretended to believe. But, uh, you know, but there's rivers like the San Antonio River, for instance, which is essentially a postmodern river. That is to say it works with nature instead of against nature. But you can put a pipe, there's a pipe underneath that in any kind of flooding situation, you can just reroute the river through a different part of downtown San Antonio. Uh, we were in, with this former city councilman, Tom Lobans, who's a river ad advocate. Uh, we went to, 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 uh, to uh, Munich. Mm-hmm. and uh, saw what the, the restoration project on the Isar River, uh, which is a brilliant project. We went to, some of us went to Korea to see what's happening on the Chongi Cheong, and please forgive me for my non-pronunciation <laughs> of Korea. Uh, but they're taking a river that has actually had been buried under a freeway and wow. they lighted this river. And so then the beginning of, the, of a larger restoration project, a nationwide restoration project. So, you know, there's small rivers around the, around the America and around the world that are being restored, and there's larger rivers like the Isar that are being, that are being restored. You know, and we're benefit, we benefit from all that knowledge. And, you know, you can know the Chicago River, for instance, is one of the main restoration rivers that going on around the world. So there's a lot of, a lot of, lot, 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 lot of projects going on. Restoring rivers is becoming a national pastime. Well, and I think it's an important one, and it's great to know that you all are collaborating with, you know, the other projects that are going on, you know, applying what lessons can be learned um, to the L.A. Restoration Project. I think that's fantastic. I love to see information sharing and collaboration going on that way. You know, Shelley, when I was down at the document uh, documentary um, premiere, there were numerous television stars in attendance. And the TV and movie industry is such a huge part of L.A.'s economy. What kind of involvement and support are you getting from the filmmaking and television industries? 
Yeah, we have. There's a there's a stretch of of the river that's really that's called the studio stretch, and so many of the major studios from NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, um, Disney DreamWorks um, are all along this path, and that was once. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of the um, westerns were filmed on the LA River, so it goes way back in the history, but also in terms of filming and again portraying the river and doing commercials and numerous kinds of things like that, so that that's one thing. Um, one of the things that I found very exciting was um, the film Beginners actually has a section where the characters are walking along the soft bottom natural part of the river and so it wasn't a car chase or a, or a CSI scene. <laughs> so, um, And the more people I think that really um, are taken by the fact that um, they can get on a kayak next to the five freeway and see wildlife and all of that. So again, these, these people who are in popular culture and that we're watching on television and Netflix and stuff, once they get on board and people who follow them that may not even know about this, that's the beauty of like Raphael and, and his passion for um, just being a tremendous working actor doing mm-hmm. so, so much, and then his passion of the environment to be able to really engage people. Um, it's, it's very exciting. Well, it is. And it was fun to see some of those, you know, TV stars there. And um, I got to talk to Sharon Lawrence, and she really had some great things to say about her passion for the, the wildlife aspect of the river and bringing that to the community and how important she felt it was um, for the community of L.A. to connect with its ecosystem that's beyond the concrete. Lewis, I want to direct this ne- next question to the needs of our audience. We have so many Go Green Radio listeners who are students, and a lot of them are very passionate about the environment, and they're very passionate about sustainability issues, and they wonder, though, how will they take their college education, which may come in a variety of subject matters, business or engineering or what have you, and how do they parlay that into environmental activism? And you are a Princeton graduate, and so I'd love for you to spend a moment talking to our student audience right now and give them some advice for how to take you know their college education and use it to improve the environment of their communities. Well, that's a question... I never thought I would be asked when I was going to Princeton because <laughs> the idea of that of, of a studies in that area uh, didn't even exist at that point in my life. So my best advice is to follow your heart, you know, because what else are you going to follow ultimately? I don't think that we have the final word, but we're certainly interested in talking to intelligent, ambitious, hardworking, loving people that are interested in Friends of the Los Angeles River or the other organizations that touch on the river, the various aspects of the river. But we don't have a secret, you know. Our secret is, uh, if we had a secret, it would be passion, you know, follow that and follow that down to the river. Mm-hmm. I love it. And and the thing is, I think, you know, for a lot of college graduates, it, the, you know, the advice that I give them, because I, I have an English degree from the University of Illinois, what does that have to do with the environment, mm-hmm. is that sometimes you have to start in some other job, I started as a as an officer in the United States Navy and then start volunteering and then you'll ease your way sometimes into what's called a quote-unquote green job, but it can come in a variety of formats. 
you know, we've just got about a minute left. And Shelly, I would love for you to tell our listeners a couple, three things they could do this week to help advance your mission. I'm sure they're charged up and ready to get involved and help. Tell us how they can do that. Well, for those who are, are, um, are in Los Angeles, we have a docent program where we actually um, bring members of the public who have a passion and have a knowledge um, of different disciplines that they can bring to the table to help us with our work. Um, so we do have on our website um, that page, and we'd love to have people sign up and, and become a part of just learning about the river and helping us connect. Um, but there are things just as, as simple as, um, you know, talking to someone about, I heard something about the Los Angeles River, and did you know that there's life there, that there's habitat there? I think the more that we have these discussions, um, and especially about places that are, um, the, the river has certainly been maligned and many jokes made of it, but the reality is, and as you said, there are people who will be bringing their talents to the table in the years to come to really make this happen. So landscape architecture, um, you know, spoken word you know, art mm-hmm. and science and all of those things. And, and again, um, to really just um, start the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't, come down to the river. Bring your friends. It's, it's really that easy. Yep, it is. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to get out on your website. Again, that's www.folar.org. Shelly and Lewis, it's been great having you. It's been great having all of our listeners with us, too. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.